friends, Pastor Kelsey Exline here with Spark United, a church without walls for real people with real questions. We are a network of house churches called Sparks that meet wherever the people are. And we come together regularly for worship and mission as one church, Spark United. All right, so tonight we are starting our series called Ballin. And tithing does play an aspect in this, but it's actually much more than about tithing. It's about living rich. And uh, I don't know, do you guys ever wish you were more rich than you are? Anyone ever think, if only I had that Lamborghini now. <laughs> I thought it doesn't cross my mind. But uh, but yeah, sometimes we think, oh, only if I, I only made a little bit more, right? And so we're going to be talking about living rich. And there'll be some practical advice uh, financially, but there's so much more to money than money. Uh, and in fact, we're going to start off talking about sickness uh, and how that relates to money. Uh, has anyone here ever had smallpox? Anyone? No? None? That's because it's eradicated, right? We eradicated smallpox in 1980. Do you know how smallpox vaccine was developed? Because that was the very first vaccine that, that was ever developed. It was developed by a fellow named Edward Jenner, and he inoculated a nine-year-old boy with cowpox in 1796. You see, uh, back then, it was probably about a 30% death rate. If you got, got smallpox, you would, there's a good chance you might die. Um, but they noticed that these milkmaids who treated cows, they would get cowpox from the cows, which was a, a lesser strain of smallpox, and then they'd be, like, immune to, to the smallpox. And so Edward Jenner took some, some fluids from the boils of one of these uh, cow maids, milkmaids, and he injected into this nine-year-old and discovered that the boy was now immune to actual smallpox. Uh, and so vaccines, where we get that term from, is from the word vaca, which in Latin means cow. So now you know. Whenever you go get your vaccines, think of the cows. And <laughs> what does that have to do? What does that have to do with, with finances? Well, uh, we're going to be talking about a sickness called affluenza, not influenza. Hopefully no one here has influenza. That's one that's not eradicated yet, sadly. But affluenza is a, a term. I don't know if, if Andy Stanley came up with it in his book. It's called How to Be Rich. Uh, but he's the one who kind of shared some of this vaccine uh, imagery. And, and he says, we got to be careful with affluenza because anyone who has money can get affluenza. And the richer you get, the more prone you are to your riches having you, right? And that's what we call affluenza. And so he says the best vaccine for affluenza is generosity. And so we're going to be talking about how can we live a rich life regardless of how much money we make. Um, people would say to be balling means to make loads of cash, right, and be able to spend it however you want. I'm sure all of us at some point thought, you know, it would be great to be balling. I would love to have an indoor swimming pool and be able to have you know, a subscription to Hulu or something. I don't know <laughs> the dreams we have. Um, but here's my question. Is, is, is it true that making loads of cash and spending however I want, that that's what's going to give me a ball? Is, is that really what it means to be balling? My question is, is if, if being richer is better, then how can poor people be so happy? How can poor people be so generous, right? If 
if my level of generosity is determined by the amount of money I'm making, you would think that folks who are struggling financially would be very unhappy and very stingy, right? But I have seen the exact opposite. Um, I've had the, the pleasure of going on missions trips to other countries, and even though they don't have the, what we have, they are so generous, it blows my mind. Um, I went to Mexico in 2016, 17, and that church there, they treated us like, <laughs> like kings and queens. They, they gave us the shirts off their backs. Uh, they, they were so generous. I was so inspired by them. On the reverse, if, if being rich makes us happier, if being rich makes, us, uh, makes life better, then how can rich people be so stingy? Have you guys ever met a rich person who did not want to give? You don't, don't listen to any names, but why, why would they be stingy if they have so much, right? And why would rich people be so greedy for more if they, I mean, at what point is enough enough, right? Uh, they say typically what you think is rich is about 50% of more of what your income is. And so if you're making 30000 you think, oh, if I only made $60,000 this year, that would be rich. But guess what? When you make $60,000, you're like, oh, if I only made $120,000 this year, that would be rich. And, and the bar just it keeps changing of what does it mean to be rich? Uh, rich seems to be a relative term. And why is it that the more I have, the more discontent I become? Have you guys ever noticed that? Uh, think about the time in your life where you're the happiest and the most content. I'm guessing is probably when you had maybe the least. I know for me, thinking about it, it's, it's kind of crazy how the more we're blessed with, the more we start thinking, oh, I want more, I want more. We don't realize it. And so I'm going to say that this definition of balling, making loads of cash and spending it however I want, it's a myth. It's not true. <laughs> That's what culture believes, but anyone who watches wealthy people living, typically, there are, there are exceptions, but it's, it's an endless uh, hamster ball, really, <laughs> trying to get rich. And so I'm going to suggest that wealth isn't found in money, but in your proximity to God. Wealth is a matter of perspective. I can guarantee you that everyone in this room is rich compared to the majority of the world who doesn't have running water. Or, I mean, if you brought someone from another country in, into your life and they saw what you have, they'd be like, wow, you, can, you have a cell phone? Wow, you have clean water and you don't have to walk to get it? Wow, you, you can afford medicines and you, you have access to medicine for you and your family and, and you can go and shop at a grocery store? Wow, we are, we are rich. Even those, in, by American standards, who are not rich, to a worldwide standard, we're rich. You, you got a car? You're rich. You can afford the bus pass and get wherever you want? You're rich. Um, and so money is not what determines wealth because we can have a lot of money and be discontent. We can have nothing and be content. But the thing is, is it's in our proximity to God. With God, the poorest person can be ballin', okay? Without God, the richest person is broke. Have you seen that in people's lives? Or another way to put it, with God, you can have nothing but still have everything. And without God, you can have everything the world has to offer but still have nothing. Our wealth is determined by our proximity to God. So today we're going to be focusing on Luke 21, 1 through 4. And uh, I'm going to read it from the CEB version. I actually have a physical CEB Bible now. Great Ben First Naz gave it to me for Christmas. It's very kind of them. 
And so we're in Luke chapter 21. Feel free to follow along on the screen, or you can also grab a physical Bible, your phone. It's a very short story, but very powerful, about what does it mean to be rich. All right. Looking up, thanks, Rusty. Looking up, Jesus saw rich people throwing their gifts into the collection box for the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow throw in two small copper coins worth a penny. He said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than them all. All of them are giving out of their spare change. But she, from her hopeless poverty, has given, some, given everything she had to live on. So we got these people, these, these rich people, they're all throwing, <laughs> throwing their, their tithes and their offerings, their gifts into the temple treasury. And I don't know if you can imagine this. Maybe, maybe it would help to imagine like a small child who's been working hard and saving up and they've mustered up like $3 and imagine we've got, you know, some very wealthy business person in the church and they give, they give hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars in their tithe, right? Uh, we're making this up, by the way. <laughs> but imagine we've got this wealthy business owner who tithes thousands of dollars and this little kid comes up and, and he puts all the $5 he works so hard in. Jesus would say, that little boy gave more than that businessman. Uh, he gave out of his excess, out of his abundance. That little boy gave everything he had, right? Uh, if you can imagine being with the disciples and thinking, what in the world? Like, <laughs> I, I want the businessman in my church. <laughs> but that's not what it's about to Jesus. It's not about the dollars and the cents. It's about the heart, right? Our wealth is our, the, the proximity of our heart to God. And when we begin to think about our money as a way of honoring God, of loving God, of, of trusting God, and, and we don't just, we don't count the cents and say, okay, that's my 10%, that's it. Because uh, I can tell you, I, I'm a 10% tither, but that's not what Jesus is after. He's after our heart. He's after a generous heart who cheerfully gives and, and gives and gives and even makes sacrifices to give, right? And so I myself am challenged with this message too. It's not about the 10%. That's a good starting goal. That's what scripture tells us for tithing. But it's about our hearts, our heart's love. Uh, are we loving God more than our money? Are we loving God with our money? So we're going to go over a few ball and basics. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about money this month. And I feel like it's important to kind of rehash some key truths. So we kind of keep our, our perspective, our foundations in place. Uh, the first one is your heavenly father made it all, owns it all, and distributes it all, and he loves you. Uh, some of you know right now that uh, we are in transition as a church. We, we are, our space uh, is getting moved into by a business that's coming to the mall, which is great. We're happy for that. But that means that we don't necessarily know where we're going to be. We thought we were going to have Hot Topic, but... That didn't go through, that fell through, that deal did. And so uh, the one space that currently is available might be too small. <laughs> and so this is a key truth for us to remember as a church. The one that we serve, he, it says in Psalm 5010, every animal in the forest is his and the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to him and he loves us and he called us to be this church and to be this ministry in our community. He's going to provide for us, right? So we could think from an attitude of poverty and poor us, how are we going to, where are we going to be, you know, and, and be filled with anxiety and stress over it. 
But that's simply not true, is it? We don't know how it's going to work out, but we know that our Heavenly Father, He owns this whole city. He owns every single building in this city. He owns this mall. And He'll provide for us the space He wants, right? And so we can, we can live as a wealthy church, even though we can't, we can't afford you know, financially to buy a building or to make a building, but the one who can does. <laughs> and he'll, he'll bring us to the right spot. And he loves us. Uh, in, in Matthew 6, 24 through 34, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are, what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about where you're going to (laughs) meet, what mall space, what building. I've got this. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And I'm sure each of us probably has some financial stresses in our lives too, right? Um, I wish I had a better paying job or how am I going to pay off that loan or whatever it might be. I got to fix my roof. God knows what you need. All you got to do is trust him and seek him first. He's going to take care of, take care of all of that. I think about little Haven who's napping over there. She's had her second birthday a week ago, about a week ago-ish. Uh, I wonder how often Haven worries about how she's going to pay for her diapers. I wonder if that keeps her up at night, does it? <laughs> no, right? Maybe other things do. <laughs> she doesn't worry, and maybe that's why we need to become more like children to inherit the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 18, it says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How does a child receive something? They know that their parents love them and that they're good and that they're able to take care of them. I bet Haven has never worried about if she's had enough diapers because she knows that Sam and Leah have got her. And that's the same thing for us. We need to be like little children in our faith in God that he's going to provide for us. I don't know what it is that you feel like you might be lacking or that you're you're needing right now, but your Heavenly Father knows, and He loves you, and He just wants you to fix your eyes on Him, and He's going to take care of it. The second point, God chose you, you, to steward His stuff. (laughs) He chose you to steward His stuff according to His will and for His honor. So, 
no matter how much or how little you feel like you have, what you have is from God. It's his stuff. And he's calling you to use it with a purpose in a way that honors him. Uh, in Genesis, we remember that God created humanity, men and women, in his image. And God blessed them and said, Be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it, take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes. I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he made, and it was supremely good. Everything that God has made, he's, he's made it to bless us and to be stewarded by us for his glory. So when we talk about honoring the Lord with our finances, we're not talking about honoring God with your 10%. We're talking about honoring God with your 100%, right? Because it all came from him. It doesn't mean you need to you know, hand over your entire work check to your church every single <laughs> week. But, but living a lifestyle of everything I have has been given to me. My, my ability to work, my, my next breath is a gift from God to be stewarded. And how am I going to, to use the, the skill of my hands? How am I going to to give generously. Uh, obviously, a tithe, 10% is a good place to start. And if, if that's something that you're not currently doing, I challenge you to, to test the Lord in this because he says to test him in this area and see if, you know, see that I, that I will bless you abundantly if you bring to me your first 10%. But beyond that, it's not about, you know, tick for tack. It's about honoring God with everything. And if someone needs something, if, if you feel like God's leading you to give above and beyond uh, to help someone out or to a ministry or however God wants you to use it. It's this, this mindset, this, this worldview of it's all God's. And if he asks me to use my finances for that, he's going to provide for me what I need. He's not going to abandon me when I'm generous to him, right? And so we get to be stewards of the wealthiest being in all the universe. Isn't that kind of cool when you think about it? <laughs> I mean, think about being a steward for Donald Trump, right? He's pretty wealthy, well, everything belongs to God, and he's the one who gives you things to steward and who's going to provide for you as you're a faithful steward for him. In Proverbs, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will burst with wine. God provides, and he wants to see us use what he provides for his glory and to bless others. I think about... Um, things that are on loan. I got to see a, a, a top secret collection of ancient biblical artifacts that the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby, they, they are like a mass. I think they've got the largest private collection of like scrolls and ancient stuff. And they're the ones who started the Museum of the Bible. And I've gotten to meet them. And uh, got, I was in their Green Scholarship, or Green Scholars Initiative program and stuff. I mean, I think the oldest thing I saw was like 4,000 years old. It's crazy. Yeah. Filled with you know, things from this century all the way back to, you know, prehistory. It's, it's amazing. And I think, what if, what if the Green family would lend us their collection, right? And we could have an exhibit here at Spark, and we could have these really amazing old artifacts, and uh, we, we could host it for like a month, right? And then at the end of the month, we'll be like, well, thank you, you know, Green family for, you know, giving us your artifacts to display. Uh, here's 10% I'm going to give back to you. And then I'm going to use some of these extra scrolls. We need some, some wallpaper in our back room. So we're going to use some of your cuneiform tablets and your scrolls, and we're going to use it to decorate our kids' area. 
Uh, do you think the, the Green family would be very happy with us <laughs> if we did that? No, because it, it's theirs to be, to be used, and we return it all, and they expect it all to be cared for well, right? It's a similar kind of thing. Everything we have comes from God. It's not just 10% that belongs to him. It, it all belongs to him. He wants us to use it to be able to, to live and to take care of our families and you know, to be able to enjoy life but also to take care of others and to, to give towards his kingdom mission. And so uh, when we kind of think, oh, my 10%, uh, or, here, God, here's your 10%, and here's my 90%. I'm going to keep my 90% and use it however I want. Uh, that's, that's not the heart we're looking for here. We're looking for a heart that says, okay, God, like, we'll start with the 10%, but all I am is yours. You know, whatever you, you need, you want from me, I want to steward what you give me in a way that honors, honors you. The last thing, contentment comes when we find our satisfaction in God and trust his power and love for us. Socrates says, contentment is natural wealth, luxury is artificial poverty. Let's say that again. Contentment is natural wealth, but luxury is artificial poverty. Uh, Henry Fielding says, I am content. That is a blessing greater than riches, and he to whom that is given need ask no more. If you, if you find contentment in your, your heart of hearts, you have more wealth than the greatest billionaire <laughs> in, in the world. Because I can tell you there's a lot of millionaires and a lot of billionaires who are still slaves to their wealth and they've got to make more and they're not content. They've they got to have a little bit more. They've got to have more money than this person. They've got to buy another jet or whatever. And that's not wealthy living. That's artificial poverty, like Socrates said, right? But when we can learn to be content, and, and no matter what our situation is, man, we have, we have struck gold. Uh, Paul says in Philippians uh, 4, 11 through 13, he says, I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength, which is that, that very popular verse, I can do all things through the one who gives me strength, often uh, quoted out of context for sports games. But what Paul is saying here, when he's saying this in its original contents, is he, he says, you know what, it doesn't matter what I have and what I don't have. I have Christ. And whatever comes my way, I can thrive in it because I have Christ. Hebrews 13.5 says, Your way of life should be free from the love of money, and you should be content with what you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So here we've got this kind of this dichotomy of love of money, love of God, and it's, Jesus says it's impossible to love them both. You're going to hate the one, love the other, or vice versa. You're going to be a slave to one of them. So I, I've been in a place in my life where I have felt discontentment. And I've felt like, oh, if only I could make a, a little bit more. Or, uh, you know, oh, like that raise. Or whatever it might be. Uh, that, is, that is slavery to live a life of discontentment. And that is not what God designed for us. I can tell you... Uh, that I, I've had contentment <laughs> when, I, when I was making less than the time when I was discontent and, and how wealthy it is 
for God to be my everything and not to worry about the finances. And when those worries crop up, I surrender them to Jesus again. I take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. And, and here, Paul or James in Hebrews, he's saying, you don't need to love money. <laughs> you can be content with what you have because you've got it all. The one who said, I will never leave you or abandon you. You have God's faithful, unending love. He's the one who has everything. What more could you need? What more could you need? What more could you want? And so our, our, our key idea tonight is wealth isn't found in money, but in your hearts, in your proximity to God. When you're close to God, you can be content no matter if you only have the shirt on your back. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've seen that in, in areas that are more impoverished, but they're so content because they've got the love of God in them and they, they're, they're close to him. Uh, you can also be distant from God and have a lot of money and, and be terribly discontent. And it's not a one or the other. Uh, you could be wealthy and close to God and then you're, you're, you're content no matter how much wealth you have. You could be a rich person that has surrendered all to God and be content too. So our, our point tonight isn't so much um, you know, how to get rich, but how can we live rich? Each and every one of us can be ballin' when we've got nothing, right? Each and every one of us can live the rich life now. With God, the poorest person can be ballin'. Without God, the richest person is broke. With God, you can have nothing but still have everything. And without God, you can have everything but still have nothing. And we like to say uh, we're generous. We, we give irrationally because God gave his all for us, right? And we're going to take a moment to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's because of, of his generosity. Uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't need to have a bunch of stuff, did he? You want to help me, Nick? Thanks. He didn't need to have a bunch of stuff. He had his, his heavenly father. That was, he said, you know, foxes have holes and, and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. But Jesus was so content. He lived the richest life. He still does. And he has given his all for you. And so we're going to take some time uh, this evening, and we're going to celebrate not only his death on the cross, but his resurrection. And that through him, we have this, this abundant gift of, of eternal life, of abundant life that begins here and now. And we are never alone. We have the faithful, faithful God, faithful Father, who will never leave us or abandon us. And everything belongs to him. And he cares for you and he loves you. So we're going to uh, partake in the, in the Lord's Supper uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he gave thanks. Just think about that. He gave thanks on the night that he was going to die. And he knew that this bread symbolized the tearing of his flesh. And he gave thanks. Talk about living wealthy. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the, the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood that's, that's poured out for you. Take this and drink it, and whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so tonight we, we remember the awesome generosity of, of God who poured himself out for us. And uh, I, I have a feeling that most, if not all of us, have experienced that love and have that relationship with him. But if you haven't, or if you're questioning, 
your relationship with God, know that he is ready for you to come home to him. He's ready to have that intimate relationship with you, to care for you, to be your heavenly father. And it comes through Jesus. All you need to do is invite Jesus into your life, put your trust in him, to repent of your sins, to turn, turn away from your sins, to, to tell the Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. And he gives that forgiveness so freely, so generously. And it's because he's so generous to us that we can live lives of such generosity, not just financially, but in love for others too. I'm going to invite you to come as, as you're ready. Uh, feel free to take some time to, to pray and reflect. But whenever you're ready, come and partake, and we'll pray together afterwards. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, as we partake in this Lord's Supper and <laughs> we have our balsamic vinegar in it, it's bitter to the mouth and the throat. We think about the bitter suffering that you partook in for us. We think about the sour wine that was lifted up to you on that cross. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to face the bitterness of death and that you overcame. That you brought, brought life to us. Life has overcome the grave. Good has overcome evil. God, I pray that every area of our life, that this would be true. That we could be a, a people of irrational generosity because we know just what kind of generosity that we have received, have benefited from. Lord, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would be going ahead of us. We know that you are. We thank you. We, we pray for the continuing advancement of your kingdom in this neighborhood, God. Uh, we especially have uh, Grandview neighborhood heavy on our hearts. We pray, God, that you would deliver those out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom of light. In Jesus' name, we pray, God, that where the enemy is seeking to steal and kill and destroy and keep people in bondage, we pray in Jesus' name that the enemy would be bound and that people would be freed into your kingdom of light and life. God, I don't know, I don't know what it's going to look like and how it's going to happen, but I believe that you have, you have raised up this church to be a part of your work there in this community, and we pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful to however you lead and call, that you would grow us as individuals and as a team closer to you and to each other and, and filled with your love and your Holy Spirit overflowing. For those around us in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we go, God, and certainly in our, our communities, God, we love you and we, are, we thank you that you are not afraid of the darkness, but that you bring light to the darkness. We pray that you would help us to bring your spark to the dark places, bring light and life. We love you, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read this together. Would you read this proverb out loud with me? It's a prayer. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you 
and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. All we need is our daily bread. Jesus says, You don't need to worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. God's taking care of you today. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. This is a slightly uh, modernized reading of it, and so you might need to read along. It's a little different than what we've normally said. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.